Good evening. It is time to get started tonight. Yeah, I'm going to need that screen. All right. We started with number, well, it's not a number. Uh, Hosanna. We got a rookie in a duck blind, too. <clears throat> We're going to sing uh, three songs, and then John Kelly will have our opening prayer and scripture reading. <clears throat> Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Number 315, I live in glory, 315. Oh! 
uh, next song will be on the overhead only. <coughs> Excuse me. And after this song, John will have our, our prayer and our scripture reading. Let's all pray at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for, again, another time to get together, another time to fellowship with one another and to be encouraged by one another, and, and Father, to learn from your word, to worship you, and to sing songs, to pray, and Father, all the things that we do at this time, we're just so thankful that you've given us the opportunity to do it, that you've blessed us to be in a country that allows us to do it, that we don't have to hide we can be out in the open and do these things. Father, we do thank you for the, the sermons we've been hearing uh, from Mark and, Father, for the, the encouragement to be more and more devoted as the song we just sang, Father, to soften our hearts, to, to, to do more for you, Father, than we have in the past. We realize this past year has, has been trying and, and it's no excuse. But, Father, we realize it, it has worked on our minds and our hearts. And, Father, we pray that as each time we get together and each time in our own homes that we can encourage each other, Father, to, to be more devoted to more you and not us, Father, in the things that we do. Father, we do pray that you will continue to bless us in our worship, continue to bless the, the many that are sick that, that we know of, Father, and and, Father, for Carol and Clinton and the family at this time, that you'll continue to, to be with them and strengthen them, Father, and help them and help her, Father, to be healed and back to, to be with us, Father, if, if it be your will. And, Father, we do pray that you will be, continue to bless Hank and Kristen and Rusty and, and so many others, Father, that are facing treatments and facing cancer and facing other illnesses, Father, and, and we pray that you'll bless each one of them and each one of those that I didn't mention. And for Charlie Bozo, Father, we're thankful that he was able to be with us and pray that you'll continue to bless him and Alice at this time. Father, we do also pray that you'll be with Heather and Andrew and as they have their babies tomorrow, Father, we pray that all will go well there and, and Father, that they can be able to bring up their children, Father, to love you 
And Father, for the Fort Hill experience, we're just so thankful for it, for those who were able to go, and, and to Father, to be spiritually uplifted. And we pray that that, that feeling of, of uh, spiritualness will continue in all the young lives that were there and also all the adults that were there and that will never, never depart from those, those young ones. Father, we're thankful for each one of the young ones we have here that, that love you and come every day and, and Father, to, are willing to go to preacher schools or Fort Hill or whatever, Father. That, that's such an encouragement uh, that we know that one day this, the congregation will still be left in good hands, Father, of people that love you and, and serve you. Father, just continue to help us. And, and Father, bless the, the mission work that we have that goes on here with Mr. Galloway and Ocpanito family, Father, and, and others, Father. We just we remember them, but sometimes we don't think about them, but we do pray that you'll bless them and, and help them to continue to, to prosper in that work. And Father, for the many congregations around us, again, being weakened by the COVID situation last year, we just pray that each one will come back stronger uh, in the days ahead. Forgive us this day of the sins that we've committed. Forgive us for not being as devoted as we should. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The song of invitation this evening is number 149. 149. Before our lesson tonight, number 823. Would you stand, please? Number 823. Would you stand, please? Number 823. <laughs> Some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air Coming after you and me, joy is ours to share What rejoicing there will be when the saints shall rise Headed for that jubilee under in the skies to see some of you back with us tonight braving the storm this looks like a big one doesn't it all right tonight we are talking about one of my favorite topics we'll be turning into Matthew chapter 9 Matthew chapter 9 this morning we talked an awful lot and have been talking about a lot about devotion um, 
As John was mentioning in his prayer, um, Mark in this last several chapters really has been focused on devotion, I think. And so I, I wanted to think about one of the things, at least, that, that God says we ought to be devoted to, and that's evangelism. Um, we had planned on going to Scotland in 2020, and now we're, we're looking at 2022 right now. Uh, so it'll, it'll kind of be the second week, third week maybe in uh, June, hopefully, uh, that we get to go over to Scotland. We're, we're looking again at um, domestic mission trips, somewhere where we can go kind of closely. Um, obviously, we need to be going uh, across the street to talk to our neighbor about what Jesus has done. Uh, in our lives and, and in the gospel. And so evangelism is one of those things that is built into our DNA as a disciple. You can't be a disciple and not evangelize. It just doesn't work like that. Remember the story Jesus told about the, the guy who had ten or had 100 sheep and he lost one of them. What did he do? He left the 99 in the pasture and he went out and he found the one, Right? That's, that's kind of what we're focused on. We're focused on the one. We're focused on the ones that are not here with us. We're focused on going out and bringing other, other folks in. So I just wanted to provide some thoughts for you uh, tonight from Matthew chapter 9. Look what he says in verses 35 through 38. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Uh, the first time this verse hit me like this, the first time I, I really read it, uh, it kind of... It hits you like a load of bricks, I guess. So if you've never read through this verse and stopped and thought about what he was saying, uh, get, get ready because this is a powerful verse. Matthew 9, verse 35, he says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom in healing every disease and every affliction. That's what Jesus normally does. It's this a Tuesday in Jesus' life. At this point, though, there's a crowd that's been drawn to him. And we're familiar with that from the Gospel of Mark, especially lately. Because when Jesus teaches, when he heals, what happens? A crowd comes to see what's going on. The same thing's true here in Matthew. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. You know what compassion is? He's hurting for them, right? So what's wrong with them? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So what's going on? Why, did, why is he hurting so bad for these people? Well, they don't have any defense mechanisms. When you think about most animals, they have some sort of defense mechanism, right? You've got your, your dogs, and German shepherds, and pit bulls, and even chihuahuas have what? Teeth, Right? So Kelly teaches our kids, anything can bite. <laughs> so if, uh, if you mess with a dog too long, that defense mechanism will reach out and it will get you, won't it? Uh, what about lions? They have big teeth, claws, bears are the same way. These things have defense mechanisms. What is, what's a sheep's defense mechanism? For some reason, God didn't give them a defense mechanism. <laughs> They're not even all that smart. They're actually kind of dumb. And so... When Jesus looks out at this crowd, he just sees these folks, they're like sheep. They're being harassed and they don't have a defense mechanism. So they're helpless because they don't have a shepherd. Now, Jesus is, right, the great shepherd. Everybody with me? John 10, that's, what, that's one of the titles he claims for himself. He says, I am. Remember Ego Eimi from the, from the lesson this morning in Mark where he claims deity. Ego Eimi, that's one of the things that he says, I am the good shepherd in John 10, verse 10. So he wants to be their shepherd, but what? They don't know him yet. They haven't, they haven't come into relationship with him yet. And so they're harassed and they're helpless. They don't, they don't have any kind of defense mechanism. And so what is hurting them? Is it their afflictions? Is it their diseases? Is it the, the demons that he's casting out of them? Well, those things are no doubt hurting them, but that's not what he's talking about. When he looks out at the crowd, <clears throat> he doesn't see the physical problems. He sees the spiritual problems. These people are being harassed and they're helpless against Satan. He's throwing roadblocks in, them, in their way. He's tearing at them. He's, he's tempting them to make compromises. He's tempting them to, to stray away from God. And so 
Jesus looks at these folks and he says, they don't have any defense mechanisms against Satan. They're completely helpless. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Did you see what he's doing there? He looks out at the crowd who are completely defenseless. They're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. You remember what happened when David's sheep, when his flock was threatened by a lion and a bear? He kills the lion and the bear, right? He takes them out. David was the protector of his, of his flock. And so Jesus looks out at these people and he says, you guys are just like sheep, but you don't have any defense mechanism. You don't have a shepherd to protect you. And so you're struggling. And so he looks at the disciples and he says, the harvest, look at all these people out here. They're all helpless and they want help. They need it, right? They're, they're yearning, longing for help. So the harvest is plentiful. There's all kinds of all world out there of people that need him, that need the good shepherd, that need protection against Satan. So the harvest is plentiful, but what? You read the rest of that, that sentence, the laborers are few. Now, in verse 38, Jesus is going to pray, and he's going to teach the disciples to pray this prayer. Therefore... Because the harvest is plentiful, because there are so many people out there that need Jesus, that need protection from Satan, and there's so few people going out and telling them, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to the Father, right, to send out laborers into his harvest. What's Jesus' prayer there? This is so interesting, right? When he looks at the disciples, like just picture it in your head for a second, he, he looks out at the crowd, and they're being beaten. They can't get out of this situation. Satan is, is toying with them. They're under his complete control, so to speak. They, they just fall temptation after temptation after temptation. They just fall to it. And Jesus is heartbroken and burdened for these people because there's just no one to stop it. And there has to be a stop, right? Because... God wants relationship with people again. He wants intimacy with people again, with us. The most crazy thing in the gospel is God was willing to sacrifice everything so he could have relationship with people again. That's the thing that doesn't make sense about the gospel. The creator God who breathed out stars in the beginning of time looked at us and said, I want relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to be friends with you. Let that sink in for a second and you begin to grasp the, the, the insanity of the gospel, the, the, the scandalous nature of the gospel. And so for God to be friends with us again, there has to be a sacrifice, right? And Jesus is that sacrifice, so he knows that if people hear about what he's offering, this protection, the safety from Satan, salvation, if they hear about it, what? They're going to come in droves, right? They'll come in droves. The people will come. Jesus is afraid that the laborers will never tell them. So now we have to identify the laborers, right? Who are the laborers? We already know who the harvest is, but who are the laborers? Us. He's praying for the church there. You see it? He's afraid that the church, we, won't go tell them. They hear it if those who are lost hear about the protection and the safety that only Jesus can provide, the salvation that only He can provide, they will come to Him in droves. He's afraid we won't tell them. And for the most part, throughout history, we haven't. Are you the evangelist you want to be? I'm not. Does everyone you meet? hear about Jesus, they don't from me. We need to do better on this topic because there's a whole world out there that's lost. Let me point you to a couple other verses. John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 24. John 5, 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He who he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So if you 
haven't heard Jesus' words, are you headed to life or to death? Remember this morning we said there's only two options. There's no middle ground, right? Jesus says it here pretty plainly. There's either life or there's death. And so if you haven't heard Jesus' words, you are headed towards death. And if I and you who know Jesus' words, his plan to save people, if we know those things and we don't tell those who are lost, what are we denying them? Salvation, hope, heaven, eternity. Turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Let me show you Paul's incredible claim here. It's really amazing. Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 24. It's Paul's closing out his letter to the Roman congregation. He has um, a, a plea for them. He's going to say something very, very interesting. So back when Saul was persecuting the church, he is on the road to Damascus in an effort to kill even more Christians. When the Lord Jesus comes from the sky and meets with Paul, he comes to him in a vision, and but all the other people around him can hear what's going on, but they don't, they don't see anything. But Paul sees Jesus, and Jesus says, well, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And Paul says, I don't, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, right? And he tells him to go into Damascus. He's going to meet a disciple there, and that disciple is going to tell him what he needs to do. After that moment, Paul's life changes forever. And as he makes his way into Damascus and he finds the disciple, his name's Ananias, Ananias is kind of terrified to meet with Paul. And God actually has to reaffirm Ananias's mind, I guess. He has to motivate him a little bit. Uh, he says, listen, I've chosen Paul, I've chosen this man, Saul, uh, to go be a light for me. You need to go, go tell him what he has to do to become a Christian, to become a disciple, a follower. And so Ananias says, well, Lord, the, this, this is the same guy that's come to Damascus, my city, for the purpose of killing Christians, right? God says, that, that's him, but he's, he's changing. He's changed now. So Ananias goes, and Saul becomes Paul through the power of baptism. His sins are washed away, and he becomes a brand new creature, right? He, he has a brand new agenda. And so Paul tries to join the Christians in Damascus. Can you imagine what Sunday morning looked like when Saul... The persecutor walked into the assembly. People started backing toward the, the back door very slowly, I would imagine, so they weren't seen, right? Uh, and Saul says, well, well, I'm not that guy anymore. And they were like, well, last week you were that guy because, you know, we heard that you were coming. Saul says, I'm not that guy anymore. Jesus met me. I've changed now. Everything's different. And for the rest of his life, everyone he met was told about Jesus. Listen to this incredible claim. Romans chapter 15, verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, to the, to the Roman congregation. But now, verse 23, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So what's Paul, what's he claiming here? In Ephesus, Paul has talked to everyone in Ephesus, that wants to be a Christian. Is he using hyperbole here? Maybe, maybe not. He spent three and a half years there. It's possible that he's spoken to everyone in the city. It's certainly possible that he expects the church that he's founded there to go out and speak to everyone in the city. Then he looks at Philippi, Macedonia. There's three congregations that we know of in that area. And Paul would say, I don't have any room left for work in, that, in those areas. Everyone has, has, been, has been asked, what, what are you going to do with Jesus? Paul has made the logical argument. He's, he's gone to the Old Testament. He's used logic. And he's formulated his argument in the best of his ability, which is considerable. And he's given them the opportunity to come to Christ. What they did with the opportunity was their own decision, right? Paul doesn't have any... any uh, any power there to make the decision for them, but he's given them the opportunity. Sometimes we don't even give people the opportunity. Paul says, in all the regions where I've worked, which he, he works like in 
in these massive regions. Don't think cities. Go back and look at a map and, and look at the places Paul covers. He, he covers regions. So like think the entire northwest part of the United States. Paul would say, I'm out of work in those regions. Everywhere I go, they've, they've kind of heard of what Christ has done. The churches are doing their job, right? Paul's doing his job. All the other disciples are doing their job. And so he says, I'm out of work in these regions. And so now I'm looking for a brand new spot, a place where I can go, where I can tell people what Christ has done. And he thinks that's, that place is Spain. And so he's going to stop by Rome. He's going to meet with them for a little, bit, a little while, encourage them. And he says, I want your help as I go on to Spain so I can find work there. That's the kind of tenacity that we need as evangelists, as the church. We can't ever stop. Paul never stopped. You go back through and you read his letters, you don't find any quit in Paul. He just keeps on going. Every person that he meets was significant to him. We need that kind of determination. We need that kind of tenacity. Turn over to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. Because of Paul's tenacity in preaching the gospel, he lands up in prison. And eventually, uh, he's going to have to appeal to Caesar. That's where we're at here because the Jews, uh, they're going to kill him. And so to avoid that, he, uh, he appeals to Caesar. Acts chapter 28, verses 17 through 21. Listen to what he says. He's now talking to the Jewish leaders in Rome. Um, he's, he's come there to appeal to Caesar. And when he first gets there, he calls a meeting with the Jewish leaders. And they come to him this way. He says, After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I, had nothing, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's exactly what happened to Jesus. <clears throat> the Jews are manufacturing charges against Paul just like they did Jesus. So when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. <coughs> But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. And so they, they kind of say, <coughs> We're going to hear more about you. More from you about this, this Jesus that you've been uh, talking to us about so far. The interesting thing I want you to see from this is Paul landed up in prison because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. Do you know what he does while he's in prison? He keeps on talking about Jesus. You talk about the tenacity that's necessary for an evangelist. It's built into us. You can't be a disciple and not evangelize. It's part of who we are. It's in our DNA. It's, it's, it's what it means to be a disciple. And so we evangelize to people uh, even though we don't know everything, right? Turn over to Acts chapter 18, just a couple chapters back. Acts chapter 18. One of the, uh, one of the reasons I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't evangelize because I don't, I don't know enough. Right? I don't, I don't know enough to, to teach somebody what Jesus has, has done. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Let's meet a guy who didn't know enough but was still doing his job. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. So here's a guy who is doing what he knows is right. He's teaching people about repentance. That's all he's gotten so far. He understands John's baptism. He just hasn't been called up to the cross yet. No one's told him about Jesus yet. So Pris Priscilla and Aquila uh, pull him to the side and, and they teach him 
uh, about Jesus. And from that day on, he taught people about Jesus too. We're not ever going to have all of the answers. You're not going to have all the answers. Somebody's going to throw a question out there. It happens to me. I've got a master's degree in this book. <laughs> people throw out questions where you just don't know the answers to. It happened to Jesus. Remember when he went to his hometown in Mark chapter 6? He goes back to Capernaum. And he's teaching, and, he, and people are astounded. But what do they do? Do they, they, do they just believe? No. They are offended by him, and they walk away. The guy that had all of the answers, who would have never been stumped by any question, met with resistance and wasn't able to teach some people. You're not going to have all the answers. That's not a very good excuse not to go tell people about what Jesus has done. We put in the time. We put in the work to learn what we can learn about how to go and teach. Acts chapter 9. Let's do one more. Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 20. This is the account of Paul. Remember we talked about Ananias a little bit ago. <clears throat> Start back up in verse 17. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Do you think Ananias liked Paul? Probably a little bit of conjecture there, but if you look back up in the rest of uh, Ananias' statements about Paul, you'll find that at the very least he's scared of him. Verse 13, Acts chapter 9, 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. When God says, Ananias, go, go teach Saul all about me, what he has to do to be saved. Ananias balked. Um, God, I don't, I don't know if you know this man or not, but he's done a lot of bad things. And so we teach people the truth about what Jesus has done that we might not even like. People we don't think deserve the truth. Think people we think that don't deserve grace. We teach them about the truth, what Jesus has done. Since it's so close, let's do one more. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Philip is on the run for his life here uh, from Saul. Saul has just consented to the death of Stephen in Jerusalem. And he has gotten uh, edicts now to go across the country. And wherever he finds Christians, he has the authority to kill them. And so the intensity of his persecution is in Jerusalem right now. It's hot in Jerusalem. People are being martyred for their faith, it seems like, fairly regularly. And so the Christians leave Jerusalem and they just run. There's not, there's not a plan uh, they don't say, you go that way, I'll go this way, and you go that way. They just, they just run away from Jerusalem. Philip is in Jerusalem. He's one of the seven deacons. Um, but that congregation, I guess, just, just completely leaves Jerusalem. And Philip is go on the run, too. He's going to make his way down to Samaria, which is not a place most Jewish people would find themselves. But he's no longer a Jew. He's a Christian now. And so he looks at these people and thinks, they need Christ, too. Listen to what it says here in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there's much joy in that city. So Philip is converting folks. He's preaching the truth to them on the run for his life. If there was ever a time when you would think you would 
go as fast as possible, when you wouldn't stop to have a conversation with someone, especially an extended conversation with anyone, it would be at this moment when you were on the run for your life. That's not what Philip does. Well, why not? Because Philip is a disciple. It's who he is. Evangelism is built into our DNA. Even when we're on the run for our lives, we stop and we have conversations with people about Christ. Even when we don't like those people necessarily. Even when we don't think that they're worthy of God's grace. Even when we don't know everything that we think we need to know. Even when we don't have all the answers. Why do you do that? Because evangelism is built into our DNA. It's who we are. It's who he's called us to be. It's our job as Christians. Disciples make disciples. That's what we do. It's who we are. If you're a disciple, your goal in life is to make another disciple, is to replicate yourself over and over and over again. If we're not doing that, we're failing. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom work. Jesus knows that those who are lost, there's a great many of them, right? Most of the world is lost. He knows that if they hear, they'll come to him. He's afraid we won't go and tell them. And so tonight, the invitation is open to you just like it is all the time. If you've never heard of Christ, His grace is the only thing that can pull you out of your sin and wash away those sins and make you a brand new creation. Maybe you've already been baptized and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would want you to be. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Fear not, little flocks, and stay here in the Thank you, Chris. Great lesson. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Um, remember, this coming Sunday, uh, Grace Hutchinson will be having her wedding shower here at the building on uh, between 2 and 4 o'clock. Also, if you're wanting to go to the upcoming baseball road trip, uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board. Wednesday is the last day for you to sign up for that. Also, remember, VBS is coming in two weeks. Uh, we are desperately needing teachers and helpers for that. 
Uh, so if you can sign up for that, it would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you can help cut grass, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer board for that. Um, also, updates on our prayer list. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, remember, continue to keep Carol Galloway in your prayers. She's still at Cabell. Um, also, remember, continue to keep Kristen Ward while she uh, undergoes radiation and chemotherapy. Uh, remember, continue to keep Rusty and Hank and Randy and so many others that are dealing with cancer at this time in our prayers. Also, remember to uh, keep uh, Heather Pittman in your prayers as she's being induced tomorrow. Um, also, is keep the Royce family in your prayers as the passing of Don on Wednesday. So keep the Royce family in your prayers. And also, Mary Elkins has requested prayers for her 47-year-old nephew, Ed Fisher. He is at Norton's Hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. He's having swelling and fluid on his lungs and his heart. So remember to keep uh, Ed Fisher in your prayers at this time as well. That's all the announcements I have. If you have not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in a conference room. You may leave and do that now. We will sing one more song, and Jason Stevens will lead us in prayer, closing prayer. Let's close this evening with Walking on Heaven's Road. Who's that walking down the road carrying such a heavy load? Sinner, lay your burden down, cause we're walking on heaven's road. And when you're walking on heaven's road, gonna lay down my heavy load. Jesus is saying, walk along with me. Praise God, glory, hallelujah. I'm singing all the way, I got sunshine in every day. Won't you come along and join me on that heaven's road? The young folks walking hand in hand, singing with the angel band. Old folk ain't so tired and worn, cause you're walking on heaven's road. And when you're walking on heaven's road, you're gonna lay down my heavy load. Jesus said you'd walk along with me, praise God, glory, hallelujah. I'm singing all the way, got sunshine in every day. Won't you come along and join me on that heaven road? Ain't no tears, no crying there, ain't no sadness anywhere. Ain't got time to shed no tears, cause I'm walking on heaven's road. And when you're walking on heaven's road, you're gonna lay down my head. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for the warm weather. We thank you for this summer season, Lord. We thank you for the ability to come out and be together. We thank you for all those who have uh, worked so hard as battling the pandemic from the frontline workers who have dealt with that to those who have uh, dealt with the disease themselves personally to those who have developed the Vaccines, Lord, we pray that you'll continue to be with our country and with our world as we deal with this and that you will be with all those who are sick. Lord, we pray that you'll be with those who are sick due to other other maladies, Lord. We pray that you'll watch over them, be with, uh, be with them and, and watch over them. Lord, we especially pray tonight that you'll be with Heather and the babies. We pray that you will watch over them. We pray that you will give them a good day tomorrow, give them health and a great life here on this earth, Lord, and we pray that you will bless them and that family. Lord, we pray that you be with all those uh, as we go, all of us as we travel this week, and those who are um, on vacation, pray that you'll be safe with them. Lord, we pray that you'll bless us. Please forgive us, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen.